welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. McGregor and his Bonnie Lass are here. Um, you know, Tanya and Joey Medea are returning tonight. They are premier paranormal researchers, authors, children's book uh, readers, and KGRA hosts and uh, guests all all over on uh, many other networks. Um, Tanya and Joey were guests with us earlier this year to discuss their watch out for the hallway, which chronicles their two-year paranormal investigation of the Webb Memorial Library in Beaufort, North Carolina. And they are back to discuss their just-published Roommates from Beyond. And uh, Joey uh, recently published the first part of his canon in the Quill series. Uh, so, you know, we're going to get into other uh, projects they're uh, working on. So, uh, you know, we have two hours to absorb a lot of information from our fascinating guests. Hi, Tanya and Joey. How are you? Hi, Mark. It's so good, good to be back again. Thank you. Oh, yes, thanks. it's great to be back. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, uh, we're very glad you're here. So, um, you know, maybe, I think maybe we should start off with, um, you know, like the canon in the quill, um, maybe because it deals with the beach uh, imagery. Uh, I think is. We get closer to Thanksgiving. Uh, maybe a lot of us need uh, to warm, you know, have some warm thoughts. So um, maybe start there. Um, so, uh, uh, Joey, this is part one, right? Yeah. So, so it's book one. It's um, it's part of a larger universe called the Stanton Chronicles, but. 
it's book one, and actually book two should be coming out hopefully within a couple of weeks. Uh, the graphic oh, okay. designer is finishing up the cover, but the the book itself is all typeset and ready to be printed. So, yeah, and they'll they'll go on for maybe infinity. I don't know. <laughs> it's fun to write. Okay, so, it's really fun to write. Okay. Okay, so uh, you know, uh, you know, the uh, first book was really enjoyable. You know, if people like um, um, like the Waverly, not you know, like Sir, Sir Walter Scott's Waverly novel, uh, yeah. you know, to, to some of the um, like Highlander, the movie. Uh, Marathon Man, and like all that political intrigue, and, and a lot of different uh, locations around the world. I, 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 this would be, be a great book uh, for people. You, know, you, you have settings in the what, Scottish Highlands and Schoon Palace, the Tuileries Gardens of Paris, Bahamas, London, Colonial America, and present-day New Jersey. So, um, you know, what were you aiming to achieve with all these locations? You're, 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 and, and what's the time frame? Right. So the time frame is the start of the golden age of piracy. So it's the mid-teens um, of the 1700s. So the story begins in 1715. Um, and, uh, so the, the aim of the different places is I grew up loving and, and writing. So I have a fantasy novel called Jester Night sequel to that comes out next year sometime, probably in the spring. But, um, I love if, if people are fans of Game of Thrones or any other kind of serial work where you have, uh, numerous story threads. And and really, there's a lot of misinformation about the golden age of piracy, just like there is um, – I'm kind of the paranormal and pirates guy. And, if, and at, first, uh-huh. at first glance or when people first hear that, they go, wait a minute, like what do they have in common? And that time period was full of superstition. There was lots of paranormal. There was the Obeya religion, which is uh, similar to voodoo but different, that came out of the Gold Coast of Africa that was tied to the slave trade and, of course, spread out through – uh, the Caribbean and through the American colonies and all of that. A um, lot of maritime superstitions, but it really uh-huh. was a time where um, global politics was, you know, all the families of Europe were interconnected and they fought uh-huh. like your typical family, brothers and sisters. Um, the war of Spanish succession has just ended when the first novel begins and that's because the king of Spain, Philip, had a legitimate claim on the throne of England. Uh, but you had problems with Protestants and Catholics. So you have all these different great layers that go so far beyond pirates getting drunk on rum and blowing holes in boats with cannon. <laughs> that was not what was going on at all. It was a very fascinating time in world history. Uh, and... I like how you know you get you know a little uh, scene here with you know Rob Roy, and then you switch over to uh, you know so- something going on in you know, 
Fountain Blow, and then, you know, like the next chapters in uh, Colonial America. You you have these intriguing uh, plots developing and uh, the uh, ramifications across the Atlantic. And I'm looking forward to part two. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I I mean, I think this is a very interesting time that we're living in right now, of course, as far as American mm-hmm. history. And people always say, oh, what happened to America? America's changed so much. I would say that it really ha- hasn't. Like a, a, lot of, a, a lot of the way government is structured and the philosophies behind American government and just uh, the psychology of America was very much the founding fathers. But you can go back 50 years to the golden age of piracy and see where those seeds were laid, right? Um, the European oh. interest in the Americas and how – and, of course, the Scotch-Irish influence is huge here. It's a huge part mm-hmm. of America's identity. So so that's really what I was going for. But I'm, I'm super glad that you enjoyed it. And the, the second book becomes – I kind of eased everyone into the paranormal. But the books get increasingly paranormal as we go. Um, okay. So yeah, so that's something to look forward to. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Okay, and you know, uh, before you know, we get into uh, the heavy duty stuff, um, uh, there are a couple uh, passages I need to ask you about. Um, okay, we're you know one of the characters is uh, Jake, uh, the podcaster. Uh, obviously, he's uh, the the present day New Jersey character, um, um, but you know, he you say that he has a couple uh, groupies on his uh, podcast. Uh, are any of them right. named uh, Mermaid Lisa or the Red Dragon Rider? Maybe even Julianne. Um, you know, I'm not. He doesn't say. Jake doesn't tell me these things. He he hoards his fans. Um, so it could very well be. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I just wonder if, uh, you know, uh, so, so some of my uh friends are also uh, uh somehow uh being teleported to your book. I was. We'll, we'll see how that plays out in part two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jake gets into some very heavy stuff. So in book two, yeah. he's not doing any podcasting. We don't want to give too much away. Okay. Uh, but Jake, Jake is like, um, Jake is like Frodo. Um, I, I love that the average, you know, mild mannered person gets pulled into massively huge affairs where they're over their head and we can really root for them because they're like us. That's what Jake winds up in the second book. So, little teaser there. Okay. All right. And, <laughs> yep. And, and on uh, you know, page nine, uh, 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 Christine uh, uh, says uh, she she wondered why she agreed to appear on Jake's podcast. Um, I hope that's not autobiographical, and you, 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 know, you didn't write that after 
<laughs> your first appearance on Nightlight. No, no, I, I actually first drafted that um, prior to even Hallway coming out. So we did not, oh, okay. we did not know you at the time. I can assure you. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, a You're little funny. bit of relief. See, so, so, so I, so I actually do read this stuff. You do. Okay. Yeah, word for word. <laughs> and you read into it, too. <laughs> okay, yeah, 10 years of college are paying off now. There you um, go. It's, so, um, okay, so, you know, back to the more serious stuff. Uh, you, know, you, uh, you start off the uh, series with a... Uh, Captivating chapter with uh, you know, Deb and Ross uh, being involved with the um, dehumanizing slave trade. Right. Um, that's where we get. Uh, I don't want to jump too far ahead of myself, but uh, okay, let's start there because it, it, this concept of you know, the slave trade in 1715 does that theme reappears throughout the book um, you know with other types of slavery such as uh, being a, a corporate slave to hide uh Information, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, getting people involved in, you know, like a mind control type thing. Uh, you know, uh, Angus being uh, sent to the Americas, you know, it's kind of a variation of uh, breaking up. A family, but you know, you are establishing that really no one is absolved from what that uh, some type of uh, of influence. Uh, can can you explain a, a little bit more about the, you know this opening chapter? It's you, you know you handle it really well. Yeah. So uh, again, I'll give you a little hint. Like I said, the series is open ended. I'm going to do a book um, maybe every like eight or nine months um, because it's such a big story to tell. So it begins where it ultimately ends is all that I'll, I'll say. So, so you have this slave trade, which is fascinating in and of itself because we all grew up learning about the slave trade, right? And the slaves came from Africa and we knew that. Well, it was the warring tribes in Africa that uh, would capture um, rival tribesmen and they would sell them to the English and the Dutch and the prevalent, the prevalent slave traders. So, so, so that's an interesting point. And then yeah, that's very astute, Mark, throughout the whole book, because uh, one of Angus's friends that he meets in Boston, he rescues him from a life of indentured servitude, right? His father goes into yep. debt, into a sea captain, and in trade, his teenage son has to go and work for him. And, and people taking passage from Europe to the Americas, 
they would pay that off under horrible conditions. And that really, you know, that, that went through even into the 18 and 1900s. Um, Tanya and I lived in West Virginia and still have many close ties there, mining industry. Um, the Italians would come over um, to New York and the coal agents would meet them. And they spoke hardly any English, and they would convince them to get on these trains, and they would take them down to West Virginia, and then they would be stuck. And you weren't paid. You were given what was called company script. So you lived in company housing, and you used the script that was only good at the company store, so it guaranteed that you would never get ahead. So that's just another form of slavery. And then you're right, the whole corporate slavery and mind control and giving up your will to the higher source. Uh, so it's very prevalent through the story. And these pirates are, you know, sometimes people say to me, because I've been doing this pirate education and a one-man pirate show that's that's toured everywhere and all for about five years now. And they say, every once in a while, somebody will say, you really glorify these guys who were bullies and cutthroats cut and thieves. Some were. But it was really a precursor for the American Revolution. It was a rehearsal for the American and French revolutions, right? There were articles that the pirates signed. A captain could be voted in and out. Um, there's some, uh, the second book revolves around a character or a historical figure named Samuel Bellamy. And Sam was called the Robin Hood of the Seas. And he had all stripes of people in his crews. So he freed slaves. So if they caught a slave ship and there were slaves on it, they had the opportunity to to go on the cruise. So it's a good practice, especially in a big series, to begin with the prevalent themes. And that scene in Africa with the slave traders and with the chief of the tribe um, encapsulates all of that. Okay. And, and to, towards the end of the uh, first chapter, uh, there's the uh, you introduce the uh, theme of Jumbi. Yes, the Jumbi. Yeah. What, and later on, you know, once some of the secret society information is presented, and there's like a, almost another version of the same. Uh, Paranormal theme. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's yep. something similar, uh, you know, going on in London. Uh, it, I thought that was you draw our attention to what people really aren't that different. It, it's like they're doing this some of these same type of uh, supernatural practices. Right. And and so I'm really playing with an idea, and this is where we, we start to close the gap between my fiction and the, the very real work that Tanya and I do and, and, and the work that you're very interested in and, and promote on your show. Um, it's this idea that are demons demons? Are they manifestations of concrete ideas and intentions? So historically, the idea of mammon, right, M-A-M-M-O-N, who's similar to Moloch, but a little different. Uh, mammon is the personification of greed. So these sort of 
early multinational companies, which is what the East India Trading Company was, uh, the Royal Africa Company, which is is the primary um, company that revolves around Canon and the they ran you know and and uh, the dutch had their own versions these big trading companies all the way through the opium wars with china and all of that centuries later they ran these countries they were the power behind the countries and not that we want to go too far down the conspiracy theory road but you know their ideas of the illuminati and the international bankers that exist today and they very much worship this entity named Mammon that represents greed. And that absolutely fascinates me. So all I did with these books is I had an opportunity to go, well, what if it was actual real? You know, where it became this winged demon that fed on sacrifices, right? Which, you know, if you think of Fritz Lang's Metropolis, Moloch, Moloch, mm-hmm. Moloch. Um, yeah. You know, the eater of babies, right, in the Bible. So this idea that people sacrifice their life to this corporate greed, uh, I think, is a very fascinating subject. And and so I have this great palette of this of this series to explore that. Yeah, it's uh, really well done. And, you know, later on, uh, you introduce... Blackbeard is a character, and uh, is it Lieutenant Maynard is introduced as well? So you know, it's at some point they're going to, you know, have a meeting in book two or three. Uh, They don't meet again probably until book five. That's where they have their big historical meeting. Yeah. Um, okay. But I wanted to introduce, yeah, I wanted to introduce Maynard way, way early on because uh, he was a failure. <laughs> I mean, even after he assassinated Blackbeard in 1718, he didn't make captain for another 10 years. Like, he he was not a good officer, uh, but he's known as killing Blackbeard. So it's sort of this infamous, uh, you know, Robert Ford killing Jesse James, right? Uh, these or or uh, John Hinckley or people like that or or uh, we're coming up on the the 40th anniversary of the death of uh, John Lennon and uh, you know these guys that uh, that are known for assassinating well-known successful accomplished people so I wanted to get Maynard way way in there so that we could see his slow development into the man who uh, who lied about the circumstances of what he did. So, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. And, you know, it, it's um, you you have a terrific start to your book. Uh, I don't want to give you know give, give away too too much of it since you know. It, mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, I h- highly recommend it. It, it. it is really a lot of fun. Yeah, it, it's not that long of a book. Yeah, it's uh, well worth uh, the the read. It's, Thank you. Yeah, and uh, is there anything else you want to say about it, or you just want to kind of move on to? Uh, 
Yeah, just um, say that it's available on Amazon. And the second right. book will be available in about two weeks. Okay. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and we'll, we'll give give another plug, you know, to pick up all, you know, the, the rest of your publications at Amazon as well. Um, but, um, let's see, you yeah, um, Maybe a little might need your both of your help for Barbara me to understand an event from uh, about six weeks ago. Uh, it should be a little transition to a little bit more of the paranormal aspect of uh, tonight's show, but. Uh, uh, you know, when we had R- Reverend Bill McDonald on, uh, it was a great show. Uh, after, after the uh, archive became available, you know, you know Barb was telling me, when, did you go out and like run a marathon and leave you know the microphone open it's like oh and it's like oh we hurt there's this heavy breathing on the archive wow and, wow. and, it, and it's like but, but it wasn't but it wasn't there during the live show wow. and then that then there was like uh oh did someone call in check the skype call and there's only would have been the uh, three of us when Barbara called after, called in after the show uh, to you know th- thank him for being a guest. But there, were, so there were only three people on the call, but there were uh, four people registering. Oh wow! For, like, so ha- do you have an explanation for so? Uh, how that could happen is like I, I it did. Uh, some entity uh, follow Bill onto the show. I I, I don't know how that it works. Uh, uh, and then they throw in like the technology aspects. Uh, do, do you have an explanation for something like that? Uh, we don't know. Well, I think that. Um... Spirits certainly have the ability to manipulate technology, and I've actually had it happen myself. Oftentimes, uh, I'll have video sessions with clients, and um, we will have that same type of thing where it'll be um, a voice or um, almost like like an echo, but not the voice of either one of the person on the video call. And you'll hear just this voice just kind of coming in um, or strange noises that come in. And certainly, you know, with things like EVP, um, you know, they're able to manipulate these devices and, and come through. So that's certainly one possibility in terms of what might, might have happened. Mark, were, I, you, were you watching probably, oh, 
about five months ago, we did an episode of Into the Outer Realms, our weekly live stream, and we were announcing an appearance on Michael W. Hall's show. And there is on the recording, you can hear a very animalistic growl that comes in out of nowhere. And a bunch of the listeners heard it and all. But when we were on Michael's show, when we got done, we had a really dark experience in our house with an entity. There was someone in the chat room. Michael never brought him up. We never paid him any mind. But he was typing in all caps. It it looked like Sumerian or... uh, uh, ancient Akkadian. It was really disturbing stuff, like the the vibration coming off it. And um, it, it we ha- we had one of the scariest nights that we've ever had in our lives um, because there was this weird entity that somehow had manifested through that whole experience. But that was that was three or four days after we had made the announcement and heard that growl in the line. So. Huh. You know, and if you think about Keel, uh, John Keel, right, the Fortean, and uh, of course Moth- Mothman researcher, he would talk about weird beeps, whistles, disturbances in the old analog phones, right? Um, <clears throat> so I think those things are very pop. And, and Reverend, um, the Reverend does some work with some pretty dark things. Am I right? Oh, no, he has done. Uh, exorcisms. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, I'm uh, talking about. Into, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, Reverend Bill is going to be uh, going into that. Uh, uh, some near death experiences uh, yeah. when he's a guest with us in a couple weeks. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, you know, Barbara and I have just been like, I, I, I don't know what what that was all about. Uh, you know, yeah. It, it Tanya, was very odd. Remember, yeah. Tanya, do you remember the night when we were doing the web and we got the reservation for 16 people and then it disappeared yes. and there was no record of it? Yes. Yeah. So Mark, like you had this phantom fourth person on the line. We had yeah. a reservation to do a tour at the web. It was 16 people the notification we were preparing to go but we never got the confirmation and then the next day there was no record of it no credit card record no record on the phones uh no record in the system that there were these 16 people it was it was like a phantom party that was like an electronic blip that completely disappeared from layers and layers of, you know, the booking system and the credit card cover, because we wouldn't get the notification until people paid. Um, and that's a lot of money, 16 people to do that tour. So, so there are some similarities that we've experienced um, in yeah. different ways. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and, and, and what you and Tony were saying about, uh, you know, the uh, growl, I, I was probably, I probably watched that, um, Live, uh, yeah. Uh, but but the, you know, where does stuff like that come from? Um, you know, if it, uh, and, uh, it, is it more prominent on the archive, or you know, did, did, did people hear just on the archive? Uh, I, I don't. That 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 was where you know 
the situation on, you know, like this one uh, nightlight archive happened. uh, No one noticed it during the live show. Uh, And there's some kind of similarity. I I, I just wondered if you would experience something like that. And Tanya agreed and like, okay, I don't, I don't know what it was. It, it's, it was just odd. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So maybe we have that resolved uh, with uh, Reverend Bill about that in a couple weeks, but uh, see if he figured out anything, but uh, yeah, we'll just have to go with, you know, it, it does happen. Um, but it, Anyhow, uh, you, you do have a uh, another new book that is caught off the presses. It's uh, Roommates from Beyond. That's also at Amazon, correct? Yes. Okay. Cool. It's, uh, okay. So um, maybe we need to start off by defining who are the roommates? So uh, the roommates are generally um, ghosts or spirits or even other types of entities. Uh, We've even encountered fairies, um, little people. So really any kind of... um, being or consciousness or uh, sentient being, really, that's residing in the home. Okay. So is the, are these roommates, ghosts, spirits that have been in the homes where you have occupied or are they looking or are you looking at uh, a variety of haunted homes? Great question. Uh, So it's a little bit of both. Uh, In the book, we talk about many of the homes that we've lived in, beings that we've encountered, as well as um, homes that we've been asked to come in and investigate. Okay. So, uh, um, is do you, do you feel like the the new book is uh, an extension going into more detail from uh, like uh, watch out for the hallway? With the new book, it's more it's more like a handbook for how to um, navigate living in a home that is haunted, so a home that's having a lot of activity. Hallway is specifically about our investigation of the Webb Memorial Library, um, and there are some um, you know experiences that we share in both books. But in Roommates mm-hmm. from Beyond, we go into a lot more detail in terms of the homes that we lived in uh, in order to give an example of how we, not only what the manifestations were like, but how we navigated those experiences. 
Would you say that that's about it, hon, or would you expand on that? No, I, I mean it's really so. The book is 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 done in four parts, and and it is very much a handbook. So the subtitle is "How to Live in a Haunted Home." Now we chose home and not house purposely because a haunted house is a much different thing. We lived in a haunted house. We did an an episode uh, of Into the Outer Realms right before Halloween about the one haunted house that we lived in. But depending on what your threshold is, uh, we enjoy having spirits and ghosts in our home. We lo- we like the paranormal activity. It's It's interesting to us. And yes, sometimes it gets dark. Sometimes it gets even a little bit dangerous. And we have prescriptions. So, but it is its four parts. So there's sort of an introduction about how these things are becoming more prevalent. People are reporting this more. More people believe in life after death, near-death experiences, ghosts, spirits, UFOs, all of it. And we're also in the past couple of years seeing a big uptick of people who are experiencing dark things. So things coming in through mirrors or portals or things like that. Then the second part of the book is uh, seven or eight homes that we've lived in and the different paranormal experiences that we had there. And as we were learning from people like Rosemary Ellen Guiley, so we weren't just passengers. So we don't want we don't want pa- people to feel helpless because their home is haunted. And then we go into cases that we did in businesses, different organizations, historical museums, people's homes. And then we give remedies, ways to ward yourself, uh, ways to keep your energy vibration high. Um, and and so we're really hoping. Yeah, hallway was sort of a room by room guided tour of this fabulous two years that we had um, investigating one place, whereas roommates, like Tanya said, um, is very practical for people. And we're really hoping that it will help a lot of people. Okay. One of the ideas that I was that came to mind was, you know, you're presenting this as uh, cohabitating with the paranormal. Um, so it, it just, it, do, do you feel that when you move into <clears throat> you know, you know, whichever house uh, you're talking about was. Were, were you moving into the ghosts or spirits uh, already occupied uh, habitation sites, or you know, did the entity? follow you from the last house uh at some point uh you you two are cohabitating with the paranormal how how does how does that work were they already like there I think in many of the many of the homes that we've encountered um ghosts, yes. 
they were already there. Um, I think in our particular case, and I think this is true of a lot of people, um, myself and our daughter, as you know, um, are psychic mediums, and people who are either very sensitive or psychic um, tend to, or experiencers, people who've been lifelong experiencers, tend to act as batteries for certain locations. So we go to a, a new home and, you know, new or maybe an old home, um, and there's activity there. Maybe the other residents uh, prior to us experienced a few strange happenings, but nothing, you know, really out of the realm of the ordinary. And then we move in and myself and, and our daughter and actually our middle son to a certain extent is very sensitive as well. So here we are charging up the home and all of a sudden we're having all of this activity. So, but, you know, our experience has been most of the places that we've moved to, yes, they were already inhabited by, um, you know, resident ghosts or, as I mentioned, fairies, um, you know, elemental type beings. Our current home is a, is a really good example of this. Um, this home was built in 1929, this year's catalog home. And the first time I even came to look at the home to see if it was something that, you know, would work for us, I was experiencing ghosts. And I saw a little boy in the upstairs closet in one of the bedrooms and I also saw a gentleman in the basement um, who had a black suit on, and he was uh, a very stoic-looking man. So I knew that there were two resident ghosts already, and then when we moved in, we got to know particularly the gentleman um, quite well and discovered that he is actually the man who built the home. And I was getting his name, Frank, and Joey um, can tell you a little bit, too, about some of his encounters with Frank, but Frank really wasn't that happy to have Joey in uh, some of the spaces of the home. And I'll let Joey talk to you a little bit about that. Okay. So, yeah. So um, Frank was an old fashioned guy. He was a army veteran. He had spent a lot of time in Alaska. He had some very strong opinions uh, culturally and things like that, that came up different places but he really did not like modern technology. And as you know, we have the, you know, I do audio drama and I I have all this Mm -hmm. fancy equipment for being on the radio, being on podcasts. And I would go, um, we have a sun, a converted sun porch on the back of the house that I set up as my studio. And we, we put in a beautiful wood floor and I have all these nice sound panels. It's all decorated. And I collect, I collect collectible cars and figures and people can see those things in the background of into the outer realms. I love that kind of stuff being a storyteller. And I would come into the room in the morning and the little cars would be turned over on their roofs. Uh, Figurines would be knocked over. Things would be moved around and disordered. And it was his way of saying, I don't like you in my space. So that is a major, I think that's where the idea for roommates from beyond really came into play where Tanya and I said, um, you know, in the movies, people have to move, you know, they have to break their lease or abandon their house in the middle of the night. Well, that's not practical. So we have found ways to, like you said, we found ways to cohabitate with the paranormal. 
And and we've learned a lot of interesting things. And Jolie was always very good about it. She was always very good about setting boundaries and saying, don't touch my things and don't, um, don't come into my space or it's okay if you come and see me, but not when I'm in the shower, not when I'm getting ready for bed, not when I'm sleeping. And um, John Keel, way back in the day, wrote these letters that are collected in these books about the Mothman experience. And he was writing to the families of the people who had seen the Mothman. And he was saying, I know this sounds absolutely insane, but speak to these entities and tell them to leave you alone. Tell them to stay out of your space. And as crazy an idea that was in the 1960s, we're hoping that it's becoming more mainstream now. And if we um, treat the dead with the same respect, with the same level of communication, with the same level of understanding and recognition that they have certain rights. I mean, the man built the house. So Mm -hmm. it's understandable that he has an attachment to it, right? But we're renting it now, and so we needed to come to some agreement. And Tanya can tell you about the process. She said she hit on a really nice process to negotiate with Frank and ultimately resolve the problem. Yes. (laughs) This sounds like an interesting story. Oh, it is. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. It really is. So so Frank was, you know, making himself known pretty regularly. And one night I just, it just occurred to me. And oftentimes I would see him like we'd be sitting in the living room watching television and from the living room sofa, you can look into the kitchen and we'd always be hearing noises in the kitchen, just like things being moved around, just banging, just always noises coming from the kitchen And I would look in, and not always, but frequently, I would see Frank in there. And one evening, he was just standing there looking at me. And I don't know if if I just sort of picked up, like, telepathically um, what he was thinking or feeling, but it just occurred to me that he just wanted to be acknowledged and and sort of, like, included. Um, Because, you know, we would be in the living room as a family watching television, and I think he was making all the noise. It just kind of occurred to me that maybe he's in there making all the noise because he just wants some attention. So I thought, well, I'm going to start just acknowledging him. I mean, not that we weren't acknowledging him, but acknowledging him in a way that was more inclusive. So when I made coffee in the morning, I would pour an extra cup and set it on the counter and say, hey, Frank, this is for you, you know, good morning, and really just start talking to him like he was a member of the family because at that point he really was. Um, And that's what we mean by roommates from beyond, right? Mm -hmm. So I would do that, and, you know, when I would make a meal, I would just set out a little bit extra, just a little tiny, like, saucer-sized plate with some food on it, just just as an acknowledgement. And I did that for about a month or so. And over time, all of the activity from Frank just sort of diminished. And actually, I think he he may have moved on because we really have not been experiencing him. Okay. We have um, plenty of other plenty of other roommates from beyond here in the house, but haven't encountered Frank lately. Okay, so so Frank was the builder of the house. Um, 
in your uh, watch out for the hallway, Doctor Thompson owns one of the lots on which the web library was built. It, Correct. Yes. Seems, yeah, it seems to be like one of the. Uh, yeah, it's at the what uh, chapter start of chapter seven of hallway, but um, does the uh, like original owner of the property or builder of the house? Is there a more uh, is it more prevalent for the builder to uh, linger after death than any other type of person that might, you know, might have a connection to the property? I I will say I don't know about more prevalent, but but we do talk about another couple of cases um, that where we, where we were asked to go in and investigate and try to solve a haunting or, or help manage it because the people who were living in the home could not do it on their own. And they lay very strong claim. Um, there's one case in the book where it was multi-generational. So it was a father who built the home. His daughter lived there. And when he died, um, a woman not having many rights, his brother tried to lay claim to the land in the house. This woman walked 17 miles to and from the county courthouse to make her claim. So this is someone who was very, very strongly attached to the home. And so we need to mm-hmm. figure we need to figure that in. You can also go a step further, and the um, indigenous people who inhabited the land, or our house here in Ohio, in eastern Ohio, uh, we got some help from beyond closing a portal because the fairies that are attached to the land through a hawthorn tree that's on our property had opened a portal where they used to dance. And that was prior to when the house was built. Plus, also, you know, I, I talked about coal mining in West Virginia. Well, there's there's right. so many ties between elementals in the old coal haulers and the old uh, coal camps and things like that. So now you have these very ancient spirits that hold claim to land, and they can be some of the most powerful um, and hard to get rid of and nasty uh, spirits. So, so that idea of ownership, right, even for the living – for for us typical people, when we own something, uh, we lay a strong claim to it. And if someone tries to take it away from us, we fight. So so we have to factor that into the equation. We couldn't just, you know, we couldn't just banish Frank. We couldn't exercise him or, or just burn a bunch of sage and say, go back where you came from and don't, because this is where he came from. So So that becomes extremely important in the way it figures in. But yes, we, when we do encounter an owner, I will say that their attachment is very strong to the property. Okay. I, 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 you know, that goes back to, I, um, oh, just like 
after having so, you know so many uh, guests on talking about, about UFOs or whatever, you know, there there does become a, a pattern. You know, it's just in, you know just interesting to see it, who is statistically represented as haunting the place you know more often than other I, you know just i'm just kind of thro- throwing that out but you know, you're also working on uh you know the patterns book with uh our good buddy steve yep right and yeah so uh and and that uh i'm looking forward to seeing what Conclusions are reached there with you know, the patterns. I, that is just something that just keeps coming up. You know, you know whether we're talking about UFOs or uh, where mound uh, uh, sites are located. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it. it, it Tanya, with uh, you know the number of <clears throat> homes y- you've occupied and some of your other in- investigations, um, do do you see uh, any difference between uh, apartments and homes, since, since apartments are you know, most likely smaller than a house, is, is there uh, a more uh, concentrated energy uh, in, in an apartment? That's a great question. Um I would say it really I'm not so sure that it would be specifically because it was an apartment um because we've experienced concentrations of energies in in all different types of locations and buildings um I will say um I can't really to having ever lived in a haunted apartment however well that's not true um the apartment that we lived in that we talk about in roommates um, is really sort of more like a, to me, more like a townhouse kind of situation. But um, I don't know. We were experiencing some, some activity in there. I don't know that our neighbors were. But I will say in our townhouse in Beaufort, our neighbors were experiencing the same activity that we were experiencing. So, you're kind of in the same hmm. building, you know, you're under the same roof, so to speak, in the same structure, um, although it's separate residences. So I think that the opportunity for the activity to be happening in more than one residence is certainly there. So like I say, we, we've had both experiences where in one uh, townhouse situation, um, we didn't know of our neighbors experiencing anything, either that or they just weren't saying it. And and then in the one in Beaufort, they were, you know, letting us know that they were experiencing pretty much the same activity that we were. Okay. 
Okay, so if everyone's under one roof, it sounds like they're moving between uh, in the different residences in uh, like the townhouse you just uh, uh, d- discussed or, or an apartment. You know, uh, they can move. They're just kind of going from uh, one one residence to the next through like. Uh, through the walls through the walls exactly in mm-hmm. the same way that they that they do in homes okay cool it, yeah it um in in tony uh, uh did did you just mention uh the hawthorn tree was that joey i that mentioned the joey. hawthorn tree on our property uh, yeah yeah uh, okay, uh, okay that uh, that reminded me of in uh, the hall, hallway book where uh, Tanya d- dis- discussing a Cro-Magnon uh, man or, and some kind of ancient person. Uh, he was working with plants that's on page 16 and you know trees are also near nearby it's interesting that in your research um, uh, vegetation plants uh, there's some all that factors into your research. It, what patterns are emerging with plants? Well, certainly um, our house in West Virginia, the one that where you were um, mentioning the Cro-Magnon man that mm-hmm. came through a dream. So in that on that property, we had uh, a portal, and the portal was in between two walnut trees. Um, okay. And whatever there's, kinds of, I'm sorry. Oh, there's there's you know a specific tree is mentioned again. I I don't know, I, I just think that's uh, a fascinating subject. We have walnut trees and hawthorn trees mm-hmm. being mentioned. Yes, and also sycamore trees. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Sher- yeah, so Sherry our- Brake has d- discussed th- th- them as well. They, the, I think the uh, Native uh, Native Americans called them like uh, ghost trees because of the white uh, bark on them. Mm-hmm. And they they were also uh, a good indicator of water. So, um, you know, help them locate, you know, good areas for water. And that was the case with the sycamore trees that grew on our property. We had um, had a uh, sweat lodge, and we had many ceremonies there. And after having the sweat lodge for a while, sycamore trees started to grow near where this uh, sweat lodge was, and there was no water source there. So they really shouldn't have been growing there. 
we had a good friend who was a Shawnee chief and he came to the property and when he first visited our property was well after we had taken the sweat lodge down but he immediately knew where it had been because he immediately noticed the sycamore trees and he said those shouldn't be there that must be where you had your sweat lodge and he said that the spirits were showing their gratitude for the ceremonies that you did there so that was really awesome but yes the uh, connection with trees and plants I think that you know plants are intelligent and and especially trees as well intelligent um, sentient beings Um, certainly you know they have lots of healing energies and uh, you know their own their own unique type of consciousness Um, you know, I love to watch flowers. Sunflowers are a great example of this in the afternoon sun, the way that they turn their face toward the sun, you know. So they have this innate intelligence in them as well. But, um, yeah, so there is a really unique sort of connection to these other realms and these um, interdimensional beings, whatever, you know, whatever you might call them, um, and and certainly nature and plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with with um, you know, like a, a four hundred a year old play, like a Midsummer Night's Dream with fairies, like there are all, all kinds of uh, plants and flowers mentioned in that. Uh, 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 Interesting to realize that you know, is Shakespeare or whoever wrote you know the play uh, that uh, at least four hundred years ago uh, people were aware of uh, expressing like the, the folklore you know like we're just. Be- rediscovering it today. Exactly. Oh, I no, just right there throughout play. I, um, I don't, you know, I think like fox gloves are mentioned and uh, yeah, um, Quite, uh, I'll have to dig up the play real fast and, and look at it. Uh, I, I don't know about Hawthorne and uh, walnut trees specifically, but um, it, you know, that might be you know, just more of an American setting. But you know, it, 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 it's just really interesting to see how all these plants fit into um, these stories. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. What? Um. Let's see. What? And. Oh, so, uh, earlier to today, uh, and just the get the segue in, in, into plants was uh, just uh, um was un, unexpected. Uh, uh, welcomed, but unexpected. But uh, yeah, but you know, got started a little bit on uh, 
Shakespeare, but you know, or, earlier today, you know, uh, I asked uh, Joey about, you know, what about an older uh, poet like Dante in his portrayal of the afterlife? Um, is there anything, uh, jo- Joey? Do you think there's uh, some patterns that Dante uh, incorporated in the Divine Comedy that uh, might have been? Something novel that was presented in what the 1320s when when it was published that you know, maybe the you know, paranormal uh, researcher like uh, you and Tanya or you know Brent Steve or you know, just uh, confirming now. I <clears throat> I think so for a couple of reasons. And Dante Alighieri, of course, is complicated because he was a rebel against a faction in Italy. So a lot of mm-hmm. what he did, the the people, of course, that he populated the nine circles of hell with were were enemies of his, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. and he was banished from Italy for a time and all those kinds of things. So he was working on multiple levels. I think the same way uh, that St. John of Patmos, John of Patmos, who wrote Revelation, he was working right. on, you know, he he was a rebel against the Roman, you know, and he was he was isolated on the, you know, sort of an expat on the island. But I I also do think that they were tapping into things. So so Dante's, um, uh, you know, the Purgatorio has become very interesting to me because Ty and I have worked a couple of cases involving suicides, and they tend to show up. Uh, back on earth, as it were, after a period of time. So I do think that there's something to this purgatory, to this holding place, to this staging area, that depending on how your life went and and how it ended, there is some form. Now, I don't necessarily know that it's religious where you have to do X amount of time there, then you go to heaven, but we have had some very compelling cases where there seems to be some confusion and some reassimilation in about trying to make sense of what happened. It, 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 um, not that I'm inclined to suicide, but it really gives me pause that I think that there are some energetic, um, debts to be paid or some energetic aspects. So I do think that when you look at the purgatorio and the three, right, you look at, uh, uh, you know, you look at hell, you look at purgatory, and you look at heaven, right? The Paradiso and, and all of mm-hmm. that for Dante. He was tapped into something, I think, the same way that St. John was. And they were they were working with myth. They were working with allegory. But it was based on something that may involve parallel dimensions, that may involve other communications. And I think other great writers, you know, you mentioned Nathaniel Hawthorne to me. I think of Edgar Mm -hmm. Allan Poe. I think of uh, the big cases, H.P. Lovecraft, 
right? They uh, say well, maybe he was in contact with these things that he he named the the elder ones. So I do think that um, just like I work in fiction and nonfiction, I really think we need to study those things. That's a very astute observation that you came up with, that there is value in going back. I would love to revisit Dante's trilogy because it's been a while now. It's probably been a decade. Uh, knowing yeah. what I know now about the paranormal and unpacking some of that. And I bet you there's value there for us. Yeah, I, I, I um, you know, you know, we've done a show recently on uh, David uh, God's word, God's words, uh, uh, you know, biography of you know, just Lovecraft's uh, vacations and. It's influ- uh, the, the Merrimack Valley's influence on his life and writings. Yeah, it's, it's just a smaller portion of uh, uh, his his life, but it's it was you know, a, a neat book. But yeah, it's becomes very uh, an educational experience to you know, kind of go, go back and time see see what uh, influenced authors um, Lovecraft is you know somewhat uh, modern uh, I mean you know with Dante you know going back seven hundred years or so. Uh, but you know, it's also uh, like with the Christmas Carol that a lot of people you know, might be reading, you know, start reading soon. Uh, and Dickens was covering interdimensional travel. Yeah. Um, you get some of the interdimensional travel mentioned in. Uh, like the start of uh, the book of John and uh, you know, mate, uh, Jesus was talking about, you know, my father has many rooms in his mansion and I'm going there to prepare one for you. Then I'll come back and get you. I, you know, like there's some traveling there. Like what's, what are like, what do you mean by you know, all these different rooms? Well, is the planets, what, uh, what, they got some travel going on. Uh, 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 that's kind of an, uh, open to a lot of different interpretations. But you know, e- even with Hawthorne and some of the imagery from uh, uh, the House of Seven Gables, it, it, all, all these authors. It, it, Presenting some really interesting views of um, uh, paranormal events, and and it's not a major feature of what we do, but you know, I I think that when we've had paranormal researchers on Nightlight, it, it becomes a really fascinating subject. Like what 
you know, w- what did they know that we are just learning about now? Right. So, so I'll, I'll talk about it just briefly from the from the point of view of a writer, of a creator, and then pass it okay. over to Tanya. Um, Tanya just recently, and, and she'll talk about more, but she just got her certification in hypnosis and then went to the um, virtually uh, just last month to the Edgar Casey Center to get a subspecialty Ooh. in past life regression and and higher soul work and all of that. I had my first experience. Thank you. Um, I had my first experience with that. And, and Tanya, as she was regressing me to a past life, she was talking a lot about imagination. That was very interesting to me. Now, I was trying to be relaxed and I was trying to be a good client and, and go through the process. And it, it was a wonderful process. And we'll be talking about that um, on this Thursday nights into the outer realms uh, of past life regression and, and, and dispelling some of the myths and, and misunderstandings about what hypnosis and all of that is. But for a writer, I think in terms of tulpas, um, John Keel talks about the fact that uh, the man who wrote The Shadow reported The Shadow actually manifesting um, in his home, in his study where he wrote. Uh, Alan Moore, the famous graphic novelist, uh, went to a bar and met his character, uh, John Constantine. Um, Stephen King plays with this trope all the time. And I think the fact that Whitley Strieber uh, was a fiction writer, right? With uh, the hunger and Wolfen and all of that is very, very interesting. So authors have this conjuring ability, right? When we write out words, what do we call it? We call it spelling. Words have power. They're incantations. They can create things. And sometimes as authors, we do it unintentionally, but physics breaks down. So you sit down to write, and the next thing you know, 10 hours have passed. And it feels mm-hmm. like it's been 15 minutes. Um, but this right. idea of our imagination, and what is imagination, right? Uh, Carlos Castaneda, whatever you think about the legitimacy of Don Juan and those teachings, they're very fascinating books. So when Don Juan uh, says to him, uh, imagine you're a bird, and Carlos has this, experience where he's a bird and he's flying around and he says come on was it really a bird and 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 Juan says well did you believe you're a bird did you experience it and I think a lot of this stuff there's that really fine line Tanya you want to talk about that in terms of the work you do as a medium and a hypnotist and because I think there's more overlap is what I'm learning than than we give credit to yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned my uh, getting the certification through the Edgar Casey Foundation or the ARE. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. Edgar Casey would say that um, the way to tap into your intuition is through your imagination. And I, I've always felt that way, even uh, before I learned more about Edgar Casey. Uh, that that was certainly the way that I was able to tap into my intuitive and psychic abilities. And I think that they're basically the same faculty. It's just when you're, you know, when we say we're maybe daydreaming or using our imagination, we're um, directing our imagination to where we want it to go. But when we're experiencing different levels of consciousness, 
um, you know, directing our consciousness to be more receptive to things that might want to bubble up from the unconscious or things that we might want to receive from, you know, other realms, other dimensions, spirits, what have you, um, it's still coming in through that faculty of the imagination. It's just that we're not now the ones um, directing it. It's, you know, we're receiving more on the receiving end, if that makes sense. But I really feel like the imagination is is the faculty um, to to tap into not only your intuition, but uh, certainly, you know, it's what we use in hypnosis. Um, it's really, you know, putting those suggestions in and letting your imagination, working through visualization uh, to convince your um, mind to create new patterns. Uh, okay. I, let's stop there for just a second and I'll, I'll come back to, but, uh, you know, while you two have uh, done such a great job ranting, I, I did look up uh, a few more of the plants from a Midsummer Night's Dream. There's, you know, thyme, oxlips, violets, yeah, mentioned and I also noticed on in uh, Act 1 Scene 1 you get this uh, line your eyes are lodestars and your tongue sweet air more tunable than lark to shepherd's ear when wheat is green, when hawthorn buds appear. That's a, that's exactly uh, I you know, don't uh don't have the play memorized, but uh right there's exactly what Joey was talking about. There's the hawthorn uh plant is or tree is mentioned in uh Midsummer Night's Dream. Did Yeah. Totally forgot yeah, that. There you go. Yeah. So um, Shakespeare validated what what's being covered on Nightlight. Very nice. Or we're validating Shakespeare, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is nice. Okay. Which is yeah. very nice. All these years later, he's probably <laughs> sleeping better knowing he's been validated <laughs> um, by us in our conversation. But uh, plants are extremely. Can we lose you? Uh, for a second. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, wait, no, Joe was talking Joey. about plants. Uh, yeah, I'm not hearing him. Are you? No. I'm just hearing you. But maybe he needs to uh, plug in some gadget. But. Yeah, I think, uh, hold uh, on. Let me. Uh, we're in separate parts of the house, but I think I need to. Uh, just let him know. Okay, yeah, uh, maybe uh, Frank uh, got a little upset hey, with the Joey, technology. You are not on the you. Your phone maybe died. You're not on the. Oh. We're not hearing you. It cut off for some reason. That's very weird. Okay, I think he's calling back in. <laughs> Okay. Sorry about so, that. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Yeah, we uh, you know about six weeks ago it was the heavy Here breather. Is. Now it's the no breather. <laughs> oh my goodness! Right. Uh, okay, just, there he is. Yeah, Tanya came down and said you weren't on, and I looked down and the call had been cut off. <laughs> okay, well uh, you're back. Uh, oh my clear, goodness! But, uh, so, yeah, you were what was the last plans. thing you heard? Okay, uh, so plants. So we we validated Shakespeare. Yeah, and well, I wanted yeah, to. Wow. Uh, I wanted Saints to back up just plants. for a second on on the hawthorn tree. So the hawthorn tree is also significant because it's associated it's associated with magic and enchantment, um, and it's also associated with Beltane, which is a spring uh, festival. Um, so and it's considered mm-hmm. in Celtic mythology to be sacred, probably for those reasons. So um, it makes sense that it would be in that play as well. It would be mentioned. Okay. That, that that makes uh, perfect sense. I- Okay. All right. uh, thanks. Thank you, Tanya, for putting that into perspective. Yeah, and and but still definitely tied to the fairy. So so what I was saying when the um, when the spirits cut off our phone line that was so odd. Um, <laughs> plants are very prevalent in our work. So t- Tanya works with essential oils. She has a company called um, Outer Realms Bath and Body Works with her business partner Emily Mittermeier who's um, a very accomplished paranormal investigator. She wrote the forward for roommates. Um, and they're putting together field kits. So a lot of people are watching the paranormal shows on TV, and they want to go out and be amateur investigators. And it's really important to protect themselves. So, so as Tanya was saying, essential oils are, of course, plant extracts. Plants have their own frequencies. Uh, they're used for clearing, they're used for protection, they're used for healing, they're used for communication. Um, of course, our beloved friend Rosemary, who we lost last year, we always have some rosemary in our field kit, which represents remembrance. So I think Shakespeare was very tapped into those kinds of things, right? In Macbeth, he has the three witches who do the uh-huh. spells. Um, he was very, very tapped into the occult, I believe. And uh, and it shows up, uh, you know. Of course, Midsummer Night is very very mystical, but based on uh-huh. based on the lore. So yeah, and in our book, we we tell people about different things, sage, and uh, and incenses, and uh, yeah. different essential oils, lavender. Uh, so it all kind of comes full circle. So I think to be a responsible and uh, to yourself, responsible to protect yourself and not have attachments. Um, or follow alongs that come with you, uh, you need to employ these things and understand how they work, like a kitchen witch would, right? Um, or or a good old-fashioned Wiccan uh, who understands the herbs, and of course, Native American. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. medicine. Yeah. Um, wait, so many uh, different Oh, I know what I I, I had this note on uh, the back part of um, one of my like six pages of notes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, you um, with our show uh, Friday night with Normandy, um, I, I don't. 
I don't think I mentioned it, but it was like, well, uh, okay, you know, we covered so, so much uh, ancient Egyptian material. Uh, you know, let's say uh, the listeners got a great uh, re- recreation of ancient Egypt, and you know, I want to save this topic for. Uh, and uh, the next time Normandy's a guest, but uh, it does. Uh, one of the topics from her book uh, does fit in with uh, what we were just talking about, with uh, what the older authors ha- had expressed. But uh, she does talk about the um, Egyptian uh, character, the Kabit. K-H-A-I-B-I-T. It's mentioned in her book. Uh, It's like this earthbound shadow figure. It's kind of like a a ghost or a doppelganger type character from ancient Egypt. You know, we can continue our list of authors who documented some of these uh, Paranormal events and you know go all the way back um, to three thousand BC or so, and it also include this K-bit uh, uh, character. So I just, I just want to include that just uh, because I uh, o- overlooked it. Uh, while we were talking about it, but uh, yeah, as part of Normandy's book, uh, you know, this is just a really fascinating subject. Getting so many different perspectives on the paranormal, and it, it, Tanya, with your uh, 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 degree. Is that the right word in past life uh, regressions certification? It's a certification. Okay, mm-hmm. Cer- certification. Okay. Uh, how is working with you know clientele to uh, look at their past lives? How is that fitting in with? your studies of the paranormal is, is is there some kind of overlap there or just a different well, angle i think it's it's all of a piece certainly just understanding um i mean if we're if we're trying to understand uh the survival of consciousness after death um mm-hmm. you know what does that look like what does um you know our lives between lives, what is that like? Um, what does the, the soul experience, um, you know, in between realms and, and immediately before um, birth and immediately after death? So I think, yeah, it's definitely all relevant as part of the study, um, particularly when uh-huh. we're, we're trying to understand hauntings um, and, you know, ghosts. What is that? You know, is it, uh, a remnant of the consciousness is there you know my my belief and understanding of it is that it's the consciousness and the 
um, collective energy, you can call it a soul uh, or what have you, of the essence of that of that being, that eternal part of the being, you know, not these meat suits that we walk around in temporarily, but the eternal essence of the being itself. So I think that, okay. that that's how it, how it ties in, just, yeah, exploring what is this whole, you know, experience all about. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm, you know, like I said, so I'm, um, you know, far from an expert in this field, it's, it's, uh, it is interesting. Um, you know, I'm, you know, learning about it, but it, it, you know, the to- topic like this, um, you know, remnant of consciousness connected to, uh, dealing with, uh, Past life uh, regressions. Uh, um, that's, that's one of those subjects that it kind of takes me back to you know, why are uh, some people stuck here? Why are you, you get uh, you know some of the uh, yeah, you know, passages in the Bible that you, know, you, you, you meet, uh, you know, God on the other side. But you, you know, why are some people still stuck to this one property, uh, property, or inside this house? Uh, you know, it's still a little bit different from talking with a, a living person and you know going back and you know they were uh, living during Elizabethan times or you know, they're kind of like the Highlander character. You know, they, they've been the, the same person uh, th- throughout time. Uh, they don't really uh, they stay on the earth mhm um and you know what interests me is you know, how do you get those characters and then you know the bull who die but they never leave it's you know kind of similar but there's a little difference i, I don't know I, you know, my uh, paranormal vocabulary is not all that extensive, so uh, I don't know if I'm using the right terms. It, it, it's just what you, you two bring up in these discussions is it you know, get, gets you thinking. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what I'm asking. So I, I think what you might be asking. Um, and, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you might be asking why is it that, um, you know, when the consciousness survives the death of the physical body, for some beings um, it moves on, goes through the tunnel, you know what I mean, uh, all the things mm-hmm. that people talk about, meets your guides and your angels. And, and for some beings they remain here earthbound. Um, is mm-hmm. that the nature of your question? Yes, uh, you're f- phrasing it 
far better than I did. <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure that 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 I was correct, and that's what you were asking. And what I think, and you know, I want to back up for a second. You said you're certainly not an expert in this field, and I really don't think that anyone can claim to be an expert in in the realm of the paranormal. Um, you know, we're all just gathering information. We're all collecting data, comparing notes. You know, we all certainly have our our theories based on our experiences, but I think it would be impossible for anyone to really claim to be an expert in any of this stuff because nobody can can claim with any kind of absolute certainty that we know anything when it comes to these things. So a lot of it is is speculation. A lot of it is just personal experience. A lot of it for me is just intuition and having talked to the spirit people themselves and certainly doing the past life regressions, what people say when they're, you know, encountering these different lives and lives between lives and what have you. But in terms of entities or or beings, sentient beings who tend to remain earthbound, um, a lot of times it's that attachment that Joey was talking about. So they have an attachment to a location. Uh, they may have an attachment to a specific person. They may have an attachment uh, to just any kind of material object, really. Um, We've certainly encountered people that have had haunted furniture. Uh, In uh, one um, case that we talk about in the book, there was a fireplace that a woman was attached to. It came from her home, and she was with the fireplace when it was moved to another home. So just these attachments to, you know, material places, things, what have you. Sometimes they're attached to people and they're waiting around because they just, they're not ready to cross over without their loved ones. We talk about that a little bit in a hallway where a gentleman uh, that I encountered in the web, he was deceased, his wife was not, and he was waiting for her. She was in a nursing home across the street. So sometimes they're just confused. They don't realize um, you know, maybe their death was sudden, it was traumatic or violent, uh, and they just don't really realize that they've um, made the transition out of their body yet. And in some cases, they're just downright resentful and bitter, and they feel like they were cheated, and they just aren't going to leave. Um, and then finally, there are cases where there are addictions involved, um, you know, whether it be Uh, drugs, alcohol, but addictions to some type of substance, and they can, um, in a sense, extract the essence of that substance from uh, a living host, if you will. So we've encountered that as well. Um, You know, for example, you know, somebody maybe um, really doesn't have a, a serious issue with alcohol. They're an occasional drinker, and then they encounter this uh, entity that was a heavy drinker or an alcoholic in life, and they attach themselves to the person, and all of a sudden the person becomes a, a heavy drinker, and then eventually ends up with, you know, an alcohol issue. And we have seen that. So, all different reasons why um, certain entities remain earthbound and choose not to cross over. Okay. So it's that person, that person's choice. Yes, I think free will is always a factor. Free will okay. factors in 
Always. And when I'm working with spirits, um, you know, I ask them, "Are you? do you want to cross over? Sometimes they're absolutely happy to cross over and glad for the help, and other times they're just not ready. So I'm always respecting their free will. Okay. Uh, it, it, that's a nice segue into one of the question, questions I had. It, it, uh, where you're in these situations where you can offer to help the uh, spirit. Uh, do you find that there is a uh, spiritual aspect to your in investigations and writings uh going out into the field it, it, or you know it, it it just sounds like you're you're doing far more than uh you know the night in a haunted house or going to a you know, graveyard and it, it, there there's something of far more substance than what what you you, you two do that, thank you for thank you for pointing yes, that out. Um, in Roommates from Beyond, we debut the first ever, and I was as we were getting the book together. We, yes, Tanya and I actually came from the spiritual and moved into the paranormal, and we feel like they go hand in glove. And and um, when we were in the web, we sort of instinctually started to say to people, "Do not yell at the." ghosts and spirits do not bully them this is not a zoo where we're coming to see the specimens yeah, and, and yeah. we've seen so much of that because of the tv culture and rosemary yeah. talked a lot about this especially at the end of her life um where you bully them because then they get angry and their energy spikes and you can get better readings and um Tanya and I believe that we have an obligation. So we actually created in Roommates from Beyond a paranormal bill of rights. It's a 10-point bill of rights designed for the living as well as the dead. And as paranormal, like I don't, and I don't usually talk about this publicly, but I'm just going to say it. I do not like the terms ghost hunting or ghost hunter. To me, it's violent and it's disrespectful. Um, because of all the connotations that come along with hunting, um, mm -hmm. that something is prey. That is not Tanya and I's approach. First of all, in the past 11 years, we have encountered very dark things, including possessions, including true demons, things that want to cause harm, that do cause harm to the physical body, to the etheric body. Uh, so we have a great deal of respect. Um, I often talk about the fact that when I was in my 20s, I was caught in a storm in a 26-foot sailboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, pretty sure that I was going to die. And that respect that you have for nature is the same respect that you need to have for the paranormal. Plus, as Tanya always says, uh, ghosts and spirits are former human beings that are now disembodied. They have rights. They have rights to the places that they are. They have rights to express themselves. 
we found in the web that not only do they retain their personalities, but the per personalities are malleable. They're plastic. They can change over time. A good spirit can become nasty. A nasty uh, spirit or ghost can sort of be rehabilitated and lose some of that bitterness and, and go into the light and all of that. So, so we definitely bring the spiritual aspect in the sense that, um, and I'm glad you both brought up the idea of an expert. Um, we're trying to learn as much as we can so that we can do our work as well as we can do it. Um, you know, as teachers, as people who are invited into people's homes, we have a huge responsibility to do right by the living and the dead. Um, and we, no, nobody's an expert. I agree with Tanya. This is a lifetime pursuit, right? Well, we'll probably do this till we die like Rosemary did or John Keel did and remain humble because the minute that you're not humble, they will burn you. Um, there are a lot of opportunist energies out there and they will burn you bad. So, um, yeah, that's our feeling that the spiritual keeps you grounded, that white light and the humility that comes with that. Okay. Um, I'm glad we had a chance to talk about, um, you, your, uh, both your work uh, has been used to um, complete uh, someone's life or journey, or, you know, part of their journey, uh, one one uh, stage of their journey, you know, if they. You know, they they were uh, stuck here on Earth for you know whatever reason. Um, then Joe, jo, you were just talking about oh, um, you know if you start having an e ego, you can get burned uh, in almost like the I inverse of. You know the helpful work that you two have done, and on uh, one or two, three, four uh, of you know the shows I've heard heard you do elsewhere. Uh, you've also mentioned uh, that photo of you with <clears throat> your face was uh, pixelated. Yes. I don't know if that, yes. is that, that is in that are we talking about you were being given a message through a photo from uh, you know like uh, a hostile uh, entity I, I don't know, just you know, maybe you want to explain more uh, you know, give the listeners right. more of a background. I, I, I was just wondering about a contrast of uh, two different situations, if if that is what happened. Right. So, okay. So, and, and Tanya, help me with this. So, this was Mothman Festival, so middle of September of 2019. 
And how mm-hmm. it started was earlier in the day on Saturday, we were approached, as we often were, advice, help. Joe, a woman stopped by our table after uh, my talk that day, and uh, she asked Tanya and I about a portal that was on her property where some very nasty beings were coming out and causing things like cancer and sickness in their group and disruption and scaring people. And so we were talking about the nature of portals, and I looked to Tanya, as I often do, to make sure that what I was saying was sensible and that I was expressing myself correctly and I wasn't misleading this woman. And I looked over at Tanya, and she had a look of absolute horror on her face. Um, Because why, Tanya? So in that instant that Joey turned to look at me, uh, Joey has brown eyes, and um, they were red I mean like red red like the reddest red that I could even um, I'm at a loss to describe how red they were they were so red but it was just the irises Um, so it wasn't like the um, you know the white part was was red just the irises were red Um, and I practically jumped out of my seat and it was just for a split second, I almost screamed. Joey looked at me like, you know, what are you, crazy? He didn't understand why I was jumping. Um, and then they went back to normal. So we have so, no idea what that was. Right. So, so later <clears throat> that day, the festival is over for the day. And um, we were all going to go down to the TNT area where the igloos are and that's the the prime gathering place. And over the past 11 years, we've been there lots and lots of times. Tanya chose not to go because there were some disturbing entities, shadow people and a black mass that we had seen down there and some things going on. And her intuition was saying, I don't need to be there. So she decided not to go. But but I went with some of my colleagues. And um, I guess you've seen the photo, Mark. It's it's we had lots of people analyze it um, because we, as we often do, we're taking pictures of each other for, for memorabilia and as part of our investigative record. And mm-hmm. it, it there's, I think, eight or nine of us, maybe 10 of us in that photo. There are no shadows coming that would explain it. And it's like a black rectangle was placed over my face. Um we got some help from the other side from Rosemary Guiley. She's she's still in contact with us and helping us in our work and continuing to be a mentor, for which we're deeply grateful and humbled. Um, and Rosemary said that sometimes things are trying to use us. And, of course, when we it's the old Mothman prophecies thing. Uh, you noticed, and they noticed that you noticed. And they're opportunists. So maybe it was the portal discussion we were having. Maybe I was up too late Friday night and didn't quite get enough sleep and I was a little vulnerable, but something passed through. Something was toying with my energy field. And it was I don't want to go into the details because it's kind of a private matter, but uh, some of the people who we think were doing some things to cause some of the disruptions and some of the dark entities in that area knew that we knew and we had some experiences. So they may have just been toying with us and playing with my energy field and doing different things. Um, 
you know, not everyone is using this knowledge for, for, for good and light reasons, right? We all know that there's, there's all kinds Mm -hmm. of people on the spectrum for, for everything that we do in life. And so I wish I had an answer. I would probably sleep a little better. I don't believe that I was possessed. Um, I don't believe it was anything that I was doing. I wasn't up to anything nefarious then or now. Um, It certainly seemed that something was getting into my etheric body in my energy field. And as so often happens, because cameras operate on different spectrums and work with light and and composition and things like that differently than our eyeball does as a human eye, um, these things show up. So Tanya not only saw the red eyes, but then that night, yeah, my face is just completely blacked out in that photo. Um, And we've had a lot of people analyze it. And if you analyze the shadows, uh, nobody else, even if they're facing the same direction at me as me, um, there's nothing else. It's just there. So that's, um, I guess you put that in the creepy column, right? (laughs) That's uncomfortable. And that's why I say we have to be super careful and we have to remain humble um, or bad things can happen. Okay. um, Tonight, um, if people are looking for a summary of tonight's show, um, I think through you know what you've. you know, both of you have published solely or uh, uh, jointly. I, you, you've really made a uh, you, you've differentiated yourselves between you know, what were t- what we mentioned earlier about uh, the TV shows that <clears throat> seem to. Be more sensational, you know. Get ratings. Uh, get get another season. Uh, you're not doing that. You've. I think your your uh, answers have have been more about. Uh, doing the right thing um do, do you feel like this uh, paranormal investigations is it has been a calling Anya That's a great question. I guess I I've never thought about it in those terms, but if I look back over my life, um, certainly I could look at it that way. Um, Having had experiences from a very young age, um, not always seeing uh, ghosts, but certainly sensing and hearing them. And then, of course, my grandmother was a psychic medium Mm -hmm. who was very much into all things metaphysical and into the occult, and so taught me a little bit then. And, um, you know, of course, just all all of the haunted homes that I've lived in 
and our experience in Point Pleasant, it all seems to have been pointing in this direction if I look back at it. So um, certainly I think my calling, my path, um, what I consider my path in life is um, teaching and helping others. And it happens Mm -hmm. to be um, in this particular realm, in the realm of energy, um, you know, in the realm of spirit and uh, spirituality. So, yeah, I think that's a great question. I've never thought of it that way, but I'm glad you asked. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like, you know, Barbara and I, you know, may have had more, you know, calling to uh, be teachers. Um, Like, there's really not much of a market for someone like me that, uh, c- comes on Tuesday nights and talks about Mothman. Shakespeare was not the author of the plays, <laughs> UFOs. Uh, it's kind of hard to get uh, in- employment uh, <laughs> talking about topics like that. But um, I, you know, teaching seems to. Be you probably hear a lot of teachers say, you know, it, it was a calling, but you know, you, you, know, you try to find a, uh, you know, your little niche, and, and it's just interesting to hear how, uh, you know, if you're, some people have said, you know, like uh, alien abductions uh, can occur in uh, several generations of families. Uh, Maybe this kind of calling isn't... uh, It it, it is is more of uh, uh, passed on where you you just can't escape it. It's like genetics. You just can't escape it. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It's similar to... You know, probably you know, Barbara and I being having uh, careers as teachers, um, because you know, both you are excellent writers, and you're conveying information about uh, your experiences. And even with your uh, Tanya and your your uh, intuition book, sorry, Mm -hmm. I don't have have the title in front of me, but you're teaching there too. Yes. Yeah, I would I would just say quickly because I know I know we're getting short on time. Our entire lives changed in a split second when we saw that interdimensional being in 2009. And it does seem down in Point Pleasant. The the, the one across the road. Yes. Yes. And that was was literally a split second. Now, we we had two hours of missing time, and we've, you know, it's a topic for another time, and and we recently did our own show on it. But um, we wound up in a parallel dimension with some very interesting creatures and some very very interesting, provocative experiences in that two hours. But we say two hours 
you know, in air quotes, because it didn't feel that way. So I say in a split second, our entire lives change. And, and we met, we went and talked to Bob Landrum, who since passed, who owned a shop in Point Pleasant, who called John Frick. He and his brother called Rosemary. Rosemary called Steve. And through that linkage, that's how we met you. And that's how our mm-hmm. lives are more and more. All I can say is <clears throat> with each passing year and now each passing month, our work with the paranormal is taking more and more and more of our time and putting us in front of more and more people and introducing us to more people. So in that way, I still sometimes, Mark, have to pinch myself and say, I can't believe we're talking about this and I can't believe we've written books and I can't believe people are listening and invite us back as you have and listen to us for hours on end. Our own show, um, we just did our 42nd, it's mind-boggling. So on that level, I feel like it happened to us rather than, you know, I decided when I was a kid that I wanted to be a writer and actor. I went to school for it. Like you said, there's no schooling. There's no market for what we do. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it was a calling. It was decided for us, and we've answered that call. Yeah. Okay. We are down to about the last minute. Uh, Do you Mm -hmm. want to plug everything, websites and uh, Amazon, and uh, we'll uh, wrap it up. I just want to thank you, uh, Tanya and Joey, for being guests. And uh, plug everything, and we'll call it a night. Miss Tanya? Sure. Um, so our books are available on Amazon, and um, the latest book, of course, Roommates from Beyond, How to Live in a Haunted Home, our book about the Webb Memorial Library, uh, Watch Out for the Hallway, and then my book about uh, cultivating your own intuition is called Living the Intuitive Life, and all of those are available on Amazon. Uh, you can find Joey and I on Facebook on our Into the Outer Realms page, and uh, we have a weekly show that airs on that page on Facebook Thursdays, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find me on Facebook, uh, Tanya Medea Medium, and um, Joey is on Facebook. It's just Joey Medea. Okay. Well, we- Thank you so much. We're uh, down to just a few seconds. Uh, Appreciate you two being guests, a wonderful guest tonight. And we'll see everyone uh, tomorrow and what Thursday and Friday as well. Uh, Thank you so much and have, have a great week.